Just a quick note before the episode starts. Let me apologize for the sound quality of the first 20 minutes or so of the episode. Unfortunately, uh, our audio capture, because we plugged in our webcam, which also has a microphone on it, decided to switch to the webcam, which picked up the entire room instead of our awesome professional microphones inside the room. So the quality for the first 20 minutes or so of the show is... Not particularly good, but the interview uh, that will roll in somewhere around probably the 20 to 25 minute mark, I'm not quite sure where it's going to get edited in that. Uh, that is much higher quality audio. Uh, so if you can bear with us, uh, you get to hear a great B story. And um, if not, skip ahead to about 20 minutes and then just kind of fast forward until you get to the interview and uh, you'll get to hear a much higher quality interview with our guest. You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks up and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. Now I gotta go edit all that out that you guys talk to this. I didn't say anything. I can see the way that you picked me up from... But I didn't say anything. I was only nothing. Was there anything wrong? I heard no, I something. Yeah, it's because I turned it off. Maybe it's the, I don't know. Maybe someone's gains way up. No, no. Get someone. those gains, bro. You're Henri. I am Henri. Besides, <laughs> she's right. The game is Hi, Henri. It is an eight game. Because now it's, the Grizzly website says seven. It's, uh, this is about the time of the month. Yeah, the website says seven ten. I don't, I don't know. Like, I went to buy tickets and it said seven ten on the ticket. So, whatever, it doesn't matter. We'll figure it out. We gotta be there anyway. <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Thanks for uh, planning on you. Um, so. <laughs> it's fine. No one cares. No one listens to this show anyway. Jeremy, Jeremy you asked if, if there's an update on stats. The update is I have to pull them when you want me to. Just say, hey, can I get the numbers? Because it's not like I look at them constantly. So, the doggy event. No, fucking stop talking about it. <laughs> no. I'll just edit all this shit out. And we I can figured we were going to restart in the second end. No, we're not. Because I don't, I'm lazy. I don't like to edit that much. So just stop talking about it. We'll talk about it after the show. Um, episode 337. Yes, of the new Utah podcast. <laughs> this is what the episode is. Us <laughs> bickering a little bit for the first 60 seconds or so. Tonight's a dark and stormy night. Uh, it's, it's fucking so election day. Dark out there. Yeah, it's, this storm's been crazy because it hasn't dropped a lot of moisture. And, like, a lot of wind, though. Like, it pushed my barbecue grill around last night. All of the covers on my grills are all over the yard. I keep going and putting them back. I made Velcro and everything. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't matter when the wind's that heavy. It just lifts them off. So I'm to the point where I'll find them when the storm's over. I mean, mine are pretty protected in the porch because I've got the the one side that's got the lattice work. So you got some protection. I got nothing out there in the... Matt, the, the smoker... There was a windstorm a few years after, like, right after we got it. This was before we had uh, gotten some stabilizers and stuff. It fucking fell and, like, broke the top of it. I was so mad. Still works. All the insulation stayed. It was just, like, facade. It's true. Like, the one about two two summers ago threw my grill off my patio. Oh, yeah, that's fucking hot. My smoker, not, right? Because your smoker's heavy as shit. Yeah, that thing doesn't move. That thing weighs a ton. And then last year, my... Uh, warmer stand, whole thingy got knocked over in a big windstorm and bent 
the hell out of the cover. So oh, that sucks. Yeah, my my grill got pushed around and the cover pulled off. But that's it. The table cover stayed on. No, both of them. Well, that's good. So this weekend, I'll get into my bees in a second because I got a really interesting bee story for you. But we were working on that stuff this weekend, and Jonathan's like, "What's all this wiring in the chicken coop?" I said, "Well, it used to." Used to all be wired and run. He's, I forget, he was young enough, he doesn't remember. Oh, he doesn't remember the windmill and the like, uh-uh. the like batteries that uh-uh. saved up energy to run the chicken coop. Cause, so I explained it to him. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's why those are all the wiring in here. Yeah. So those who haven't, haven't listened in the last six years, cause I know I've talked about it before. <laughs> we haven't talked about it like once or twice though, because I think it, cause that stuff all got destroyed like, before we really started the show, I think. Or that or like first, that first year. year. Yeah. So I had I built I actually took a uh, the motor out of a treadmill and if you build if you run it backwards it actually pushes power out of it. Mm-hmm. So I built a fan out of um, old sewer pipe plastic sewer pipe. Anyway, so I built an actual wind generator. I say windmill, it's not really a windmill, it's a wind generator. And it ran my chicken coop for years and had a battery system, and so it stored it in the batteries. And, and at night, the lights would come on and keep the chickens warm. And ran all the lights. But then we had one of our infamous windstorms that we get here. <laughs> I had a break on it for when it got super windy, but I was at a meeting, I was gone or something, and it just rattled that thing to shattered. Why have you had to rebuild it? I built a new one. Well, because... Because you could probably buy a motor for relatively cheap. Nowadays. Or just go to the DI and steal one. Then the the neighborhood behind me got built up, and it just kind of... I don't know. I just didn't... I think you should do it again. But it was pretty Like, cool. teach Jonathan now that he's interested in how to build one. It was, pretty, one. It was pretty cool, though. It is interesting, because we talk... I, I talk to my friends when I talk to them about Jeremy... Jeremy's a, like an actual green architect who actually does a lot of the shit himself, the green stuff. Like, he used to have these crazy fucking heaters in his windows <laughs> that were just thermal heaters built out of tin cans, literally fucking like old soup cans and shit. Painted black, all put together in a row. And I, I had a, a little fan off a computer at the bottom. So the one side is plexiglass that faces outside. And then at the bottom corner, there's that little fan. Uh, that thing would get up to 150. Oh, yes, when you when you had it before you redid the back of the house, there. I mean, you didn't run your furnace very much during the winter. No, it would heat up the whole back of the house. And just crank that thing on. Now, I I always love making those things. Which, by the way, my beehive. For those who don't know, I made that too. I built the whole thing. So well, you had two at one point. I did, and a crazy windstorm destroyed the other one. Yeah. <laughs> so this one, I've got it in such a spot that it really doesn't get the wind. The other one I had out by the apple tree. Well, why there's probably between the housing and wall, the wall that's up there right. as well. Like that probably actually yeah, it doesn't get the same kind of one. So anyway, so so we were doing all that this weekend, and I didn't get my second honey harvest because it got so cold so, so fast. fast. Yeah. So I figure I'm just gonna I'll just do it in spring. But I did winterize it, so I put the foam and all that kind of stuff in. So anyway, I'm working on it, and I noticed a couple wasps, which is normal. There's usually wasps hanging around it. But then I open the little window and I see a couple of wasps in it. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I close the window and then I look down on the ground and there's a whole ton of dead bees oh, on the ground. And I'm like, oh. So I pull the top off. I look in. No, my bees are all fine. The, the couple of wasps were on the other side of the divider. So I lift up the divider. The bees just go for it. Oh, good. That's yeah. so cool. Then I look down on the ground and I noticed there were wasps. They weren't my bees. They were. So they, oh, so they did that's have, awesome. They, they did had have an attack. attack. So they had an attack and they 
Killed well, and probably because of the cold, the wasps are like, oh, here's an inside protective place for yeah. food. Let's go attack this home. So, nope, they ward off the, the attack, killed the wasps. So I got it all closed up, so now we're good till next week. You just have the one hole open now. No holes. So no holes, but there are a couple spots around the edges where they can get in and out. Oh, so you don't open up any of those three holes? No. Nope. Oh, I thought you did. Nope, all three are closed. Then I got two layers of foam in between the top and the lid so that it just keeps the yeah. heat in there. They live, it's like every other year they live Well, I, I mean, like we talked about last year, and I've learned even more about bees, they probably just didn't re-clean successfully before. Most, most likely last year, and that's why early I, I wonder worked. with a wasp attack like that, if they would have, like, instinctually, like, started to create new cleaning pots, like... That is something that maybe they would do in case the queen dies and it's sort of invited. Possibly. It's just too cold to pull it open and see. It's so fucking weird how bees just know, like, they get all their instructions from pheromones, and, like, they just know to do those things. But if they don't have anyone tell them what to do, they simply just die. They just find circles and die. But that's just it. Like, even, like, when the queen's there, like... They live to serve. When the queen's there, like, they still know... To make new queens potentially or new new queen cells just in case she's gonna die. Because the thing that I learned this year was like if if well, she might not just she it might not be that she's dead. It she might, might be have stopped she, reproducing and then she can't. And she she's can't too old to restart. Yet. Right. Yeah. So that yeah. So it's if something suddenly happens to the queen, it'd be interesting. But it'd be interesting to see. So it happens. It was cool to see them attack like on TikTok and stuff. There's like tons of these stuff. I sent you that. Cool. That was cool. Uh, I wonder too, like if in the early spring, if you notice the numbers dwindling, if you could just get a queen. I'll have to. Ask. So I'll keep an eye out. And I'll if you could ask. get one faster, or even talk to someone locally that maybe has some. Will they adopt just a random queen? Yeah, they yeah. don't give a shit. The if queen controls. A them. queen's a queen. They don't care. If the queen, as if long there as they isn't have one. A queen, Okay, yeah. Anyone? Yeah. If there isn't a queen, you can take a drag queen. You put her. You just put her in this, a similar thing. Well, she's got a sugar cube or whatever, a marshmallow. So the queen that you get with your bees were were Race grown separately. in a queen. Um, they just randomly got matched together. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Oh. Yeah. Like they give you the queen separately because they can't keep the queens like in a space where they can give off yeah. pheromones to the bees because so, otherwise. All the they'll hives, be, they'll they be constantly trying to get her out. Well, they'll just kill each other because you have, like, you know, how many ever hundred hives that go to the store on the back of the truck that are all tied to a queen and they will just fight until they all die. And so the queens, when, when we've got them at IFA and other places, there's a box with just queens in it and that is it. And then there's the crates out back that have and they hand you the queen in a little box or they will have put the queen in it before you pick it up. But yeah, they grow the queens, or however you. They just take them out of hives. Like they, right. they have they have a farm where they have hives. And they're just constantly pulling, pulling out the queens. queens she goes out of stuff, and then they'll reach. As soon as they see a new queen, they pull it out and let the, the hive reach yep. constantly. So the bees that come with your queen probably have never met each other. I, mean, I would just... be interested to like watch a documentary on that stuff because that's really interesting shit. But I do you remember a few years ago where they did requeen themselves? Mm-hmm. And I had pictures of the. The uh-huh. baby queen. Yeah, the queen cells and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Hopefully, we have a good spring. There's enough honey in there, though. But as long as they nothing happens, fine. even if I lose the bees. I'm glad you saw the you wasps, can still though. And... Early in oh, yeah. As soon as I lifted that divider, the wasps were there, and like four or five bees just came onto it. So, the bees just didn't know they were there. Could get yeah, because of the divider. So, I have a divider to, because if you give them too much space, they build all fucking wonky. Oh, weird. So what you want to do is there's a divider for where they're at, and then as they grow, you expand it. 
so yeah, so the wasps were just somehow on the inside of the divider. So yeah, I pulled that divider out. And, <laughs> but there was a bunch thing. of wasps under the hive, huh? But they were all, all wasps. I just saw the dead bees. I'm like, oh, but when I looked close... You saw the dead they're yellow like, and black. They're wasps. They're wasps, because yeah. the wings are different. Yeah, yeah they're, the bodies are different. different. So, yeah, they must have had an attack, and the bees... That's good. And those, last, those are the last two wasps. They're all, oh, we got here. Man, I watched we're going to die, man. And I watched a documentary on how bees, like, kill wasps. They don't, like... Sting them to death because bees will die when they sting. Right. So what bees do is they, they just, swarm them. They swarm them. They overheat them because their body yeah. temperature is no. so cool. three degrees higher. Take them down to the bottom of the hive and just sit on them. I think, that, fucking overheat I think that it was like these temperatures are like two or three degrees higher than a wasp. Yeah. And so not. they just get them so hot that they basically dehydrate. They die of heat exhaustion. Yeah. And they they kill some bees in the process, but. But they like oh, trade right. out. They like yeah, trade the themselves out. They're like they like tag team right. in and out. So they have, especially on mine where I've got the round little door opening. There'll be four or five bees all the time with their little heads sticking out. Anything that comes in gets it, tagged. It has to go past those sentinels, and when they land, those sentinels know if it's one of their own, if it's a wasp, if it's a whatever. And if you're part of the that hive, you just go right in. If you're anything else, they just come on you, and then they let out a pheromone. That any of them around it, and it's just this, and they take them out so fast. That's so cool. It's it's, it's really cool. cool how they kill them, and nice. it did get really cold really fast. Yeah. So anyway, I was really worried there for about ten minutes, and then when I figured out that it was the wasp, I was much happier. So I got, that's cool. That's the best story ever. <laughs> I got to talk about uh, soccer. Um, we're in the off season officially because the MLS Cup was played. Uh, Saturday, uh, this last It Saturday. was played at, well, your daughter's baby shower was happening. Uh, That's uh, what Chris was doing. Yeah, so. It, Besides uh, making chicken noodle soup. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch it because I love soccer. And uh, it's LAFC and Philadelphia, Philadelphia Union. They were the two best teams in the league all year. Like they were tied at the end of the season for the most points. LA gets the supporter shield, which is like the best team off of tie breaks, which is wild. And so they go through playoffs, and I don't know that we've ever had the two first-place teams from each division actually meet in the MLS Cup, because that's the playoffs are a whole different That's what's kind of cool about soccer, is like... Well, that's every sport. Yeah, but I feel like other sports, you, you tend to get top people together more often. American soccer is different than the rest of the world. Most of the rest of the world mm-hmm. doesn't have a playoff system. Mm-hmm. You know, the season's over, and whoever had the most points just wins the season. Like that's mm-hmm. typically how it works. But they all have relegation, too, so people walk up. But anyway... That's not the point. So these two, these two teams, which were by by a long shot the best teams in the league this year, end up meeting in an MLS Cup. Uh, it's a really good game. It's back and forth in the first ninety. Ends up being two two, which means they go to extra time. So in extra time, uh, the LA uh, coach decides to pull off Carlos Vela, their star player, and put in Gareth Bale, who is you know. The, <laughs> The whale superstar who can eat a dick in a World Cup because yep. they play us the first game in the World Cup for, for the U.S. But anyway, they put him in, and they, you know they they brought him in just for this type of thing because he's a he's a damn good goal scorer. But everyone's questioning like you pull your best player for this guy. So like ten minutes in, maybe fifteen minutes into the extra time, so there's a thirty minute period of extra time. Billy's on a breakaway. It's one guy and the goalkeeper. An LA goalkeeper comes out of his box makes a tackle, and get, creates a foul, which, by definition, he's the last person stopping a goal-scoring attempt. That's an automatic red. But immediately, the ref stops the play because both players are injured. 
very visibly. And the goalkeeper who causes the foul is like, as soon as he went down, he motioned for the trainers to come over and he, he like holds up his leg. They wouldn't show the replay. <laughs> okay. And they said on the broadcast, cause it all happened really fast. And you're like, Oh, that looks bad. And then they're like, we're not going to show the replay. There's no, they, they said, we're not going to air it. Uh, it's too, it's too gruesome. That that show. So I rewind it along with every other fucking person that has the rewind like, option. Like rewind, which it is just about everybody. everybody. We don't get all the camera <laughs> angles and the slow speed, but you can see he lifts up his leg and his foot is dangling, <laughs> which means broken leg, right. like broken leg. Something's broken. Angle. It looked a lot like my foot did when I broke it a few years back. Well, the MMA fight Ouch. earlier this year. No, no, that was di- that was different. That was his femur getting shattered. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was gruesome. Uh, but so anyway, so he ends up breaking his leg, gets a red card. Philly scores like not too long after that because they're up a man. Everyone's exhausted. In the closing minutes of the additional time, because it would have been a win. The game stopped for like ten minutes because they had to come get so now it's extra extra a stretcher time. and a cart and put him in an air cast and like get him off the field. Like it was a whole thing. Gareth Bell fucking scores for LA. So I hate Gareth Bell. Hate three him. three fiery passion. So because of the injury to the goalkeeper, LA's got to sub in a goalkeeper. Which there was discussion they might do this anyway if it was getting close to PKs, because he played for New England for four years pre or not New England but Philly, Philly for four years previous to this uh, this year. He got them through two Open Cup. Games where they went to penalty kicks, he helped them like win those penalty kick shootouts. And so, not only does he know the players, but he's really good at penalty kick shootouts. Well, he ends up being the goalkeeper for LA because the other guy broke his leg. Sucks because he was supposed to go to the World Cup, but that's just a story. Um, so they have this penalty shootout. And to be fair, Philly took some shit penalties, but he saved the first three. Like one of them got sky. He saved the other two. So LA wins in penalty shootouts like by the fourth shot. Absolutely crazy. Game. I got to see the shootout. Like, like in in the world of like a, a final game for a championship. It was exactly that's what you're like. All the stories that you could possibly think of come to play. Like it was just a really great sporting event that's to awesome. watch. It was, you know, who gives a shit that it was LAFC? They're the fucking darlings because of who they are. But I would have rather that Philly win. It was a it was a really great game, and either team winning that game. Makes it an amazing game. Like, it's just crazy good. Well, so for like, uh, real quick, my, my dad's 70th birthday, my sister, my brother-in-law took him to San Francisco to watch a professional baseball game. And it ended up being one of those where they went into like triple overtime. They were there till like one in the morning. For my dad, that was... That's like the event of the last thing Like, ever. amazing. So same kind of thing, because it was a playoff game. It was everything. It was like... So if you're in any sport... And it goes to one of those. That's awesome. That's what you want. Yeah, and then there was a World Series game too. That someone watching. I don't know fuck about baseball. Speaking of your dad loving that, yeah. that's one of the reasons I hate baseball. Because my dad likes it. No, because I <laughs> want it to. It's just kidding. So, uh, anyway, so that was really cool. Um, World Cup starts uh, here in a couple weeks, like the week of Thanksgiving. I think the twenty first or twenty second. Um, the U.S. plays day two. It's in Qatar, so. Fucking games gonna be on like early morning, um, but uh, um, yeah, uh, that'll be cool. Are we have jerseys? So. Cool. It's election night tonight. As we record, um, we won't even have results in for Utah until after we're done recording, probably because I don't think we get our first. We might get our first counts actually at six. Or we might have gotten them already. 
Um, but typically it's like eight o'clock before we get any kind of real results. Um, nationally, you know, it used to be like elections were a thing that you watched on election night because you'd get the count right. by like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Now with mail-in ballots and, and absentee ballots and stuff, I mean, like Utah has been voting by mail for a long time. Utah's got it figured out. Like we usually know election night, unless the race is super duper close, like who's going to win. But other states, like we mailed our ballots three weeks ago. No. no. Last week, like on Thursday. Oh, I me, I did. Yeah. I mailed mine like the day I got it. Yeah, and I checked today. We had, ours, well, we had an election dinner. Oh, so we like and ours, ours had already been counted. Um, but like in other states, like I think it's Pennsylvania, for example, they can't count any mail-in ballots until after all the in-person ballots are counted. They can't like, even start that. counting them. It's just really shitty, stupid election law inside of those. That's just how it is. Part of that is like that was at, at one point like mail-in ballots were just for absentee ballots, right. so there were very small amount of the vote. But now, like in the state of Utah, that's the entire vote. Like hardly anyone fucking votes in person in the state anymore. Um, so I know, I know Heather went in because she does both, but she's still one of those. I like to just put. She's like, I went in this morning. Except there was no way to come off trade right Yeah. Well, one, it's a midterm. It's true. Uh, which is a, you know, there's a lot smaller voter turnout. But two, people in Utah vote by mail, man. You get your ballot two to three weeks early. You just you can investigate. I've voted I've by mail for probably the last six, seven years. Yeah. Like the, since they've been offering it, it's a fantastic. Yeah, you know, you just Google each person sometimes. Like, yeah. You yeah. Pay attention to politics like me. You can go to vote.gov yeah, and it'll go yeah. line by line on your ballot. I do have a rule. If you're too fucking lazy to submit a candidate profile to the governing, like to the to the election office, you're not getting my vote. I don't give a fuck who you are. If you can't even do the basis basic thing of submitting a profile to the state election board, fuck off. You're not even putting in minimal effort. It's the ones where they don't, they're not running against anybody that see that. Not always. Yeah, no, 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 not always. And sometimes you see like you see like like. Big candidates that don't do it. I'm like, fuck up. I'm, you can't even do. You have a staff and you can't even do the basic of that. But like, the really good thing is like, if there's constitutional amendments, like the one this time was just a, an amendment about how much the the, the legislature's able to adjust in spending, yeah. which I think it was stupid that we limited them to such a small amount anyway. Um, but uh, but there were some there were some sketch. We had like two sketchy judges that we didn't. Yeah, so that's the other thing. There's a, the judges in particular. Like you can go see their judicial reviews, and you can see ones where, like, if the panel doesn't vote unanimously for them, what their survey respondents look like from people that are in the courtroom, and you get like you can see anomalous um, comments. So like. If they're just always saying, oh, these guys are great, or all those other, but like the ones that like really mean something, they've said something. Like we'll say, we saw, you know, a couple of respondents indicated that the judge uh, doesn't seem to make sure that, you know, the defendant actually understands what's going on. But there's an inconsistency. Like sometimes they really explain what's happening. Sometimes they barely explain. Sometimes they don't really explain. So you get to see all of that in the judicial review. Like you can make a judgment call. Like, you know, it's like I tell my kids, like, look, if the judicial review is pretty good, like if it's 11 and 0 from a vote standpoint, that means that their peers, you know, in in an anonymous but unanimous way have said they should retain this judge. Like, and then the survey responses are like 90 to 100%. Like, that means even the, pe- the random people they survey that were in their court on one side or the other have said, hey, this is a good judge. Like, that's fine to keep that judge, in my opinion, you know. But when it drops below or there's a, or somebody that votes against it or whatever, we always like, 
And just one more quick note. Uh, so anyway, elections, you've already voted or you won't, and something will happen. Um, don't forget about the Thanksgiving giveaway. If you need uh, Thanksgiving, um, you can go out to the uh, Smith's Ballpark on November 23rd. No questions asked. They'll put a bunch of food in your trunk until they don't have any more. Yep. Uh, and you'll get Thanksgiving dinner. So just pull up, and they'll they'll got. I think they're setting it up at a different couple different locations. Just go to the ballpark. They'll guide you to where they want you to go. Yep. Pull up, pop your trunk, they'll put it in, drive over. There's no. And, and if you know someone that needs something, encourage them. You know, have them go there or go there for them. Okay, drop it off at the yeah. house. You know, um, it's it's embarrassing for some people to do that sort of thing, but it is the season, so. I'm glad you posted this. Someone in our Facebook group, her friends, posted something about it. All right. Uh, with us this week, we have uh, Mark Morris from uh, WorkHive. Mark, are you like the originator of WorkHive? Are you just the guy that schedules stuff out there? What What is your role with WorkHive? Um, yeah, I am the owner and uh, founder of WorkHive. We started about 10 years ago. Um, I had a couple friends from college that we started the space with and currently... Um, we've got two spaces, but, uh, started with pretty small co-working space in 2012 and we've grown, grown that space pretty gradually, I would say over the last 10 years. So how many spaces do you guys have? Just the one? Uh, we've got two, two spaces. We've been downtown in downtown Salt Lake city for 10 years and just opened a space two months ago in the sugar house area. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and is it is it called uh, um, Workhive in the Salt Lake area too, or or just the new one? Uh, the new one we we just call Workhive Sugar House. Okay. Uh, the other one we just call Workhive SLC. Um, we've seen a lot of growth and change in co working in Utah in the last ten years, but I suppose that's what we're here to talk about. Sure, sure. Um, we'll take a step back though. We'll talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about you first and how you kind of got into everything. Uh, first question is. When were you born? When was you don't I born? Have to put the year. He just wants. To <laughs> yeah, the I don't, month care. I don't really date. care about how he old just, you are. He just refuses uh, to rephrase the question. Just say what's your birthday. Uh, I was born at nine in the morning. Is that does that help? <laughs> <laughs> month and day. Uh, I was born twenty first of August. Okay, so you're a Thanksgiving baby. Uh, is August near Thanksgiving? No, that's <laughs> nine months from Thanksgiving. It's nine months from Thanksgiving. It's a conception date. Oh, so, gotcha. so mom and dad had some turkey and some coitus? <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. You never thought about that before, have you? Maybe Not they, suppose, uh, they did. Maybe they went to a Barry Manilow concert. Maybe they're Thanalos. <laughs> Uh, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure they are not, but, uh, <laughs> it's good Thanksgiving conversation though. You know, that's coming up here. You uh, could bring that up at your next Thanksgiving dinner. Hey, mom and dad, guess what? I just figured out. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't, well, you guys can't see his face, but he does not look like he's going to ask him. That's not going I'm pretty, okay. pretty sure that will not be a topic of conversation at Thanksgiving. So Mark, where were you born? Uh, I am originally from St. George. Oh, nice. And uh, came to um, 
went, went to college in Logan and then came to Salt Lake for grad school in 2004. So definitely and one end of the state to the other there. Indeed. Yes, it was pretty drastic change climate climate so did wise. Did you graduate from St. George then? So you went to high school in St. George, yeah. graduated there, came up for college. You went to Logan uh, for college. To Logan for college. Exactly. Yeah. And then and what, what did you study? Um, I am a landscape architect, so I study landscape architecture in uh, Utah State. Nice. Then, so, so I studied architecture at the University of Utah, but I have friends that uh, went up to Logan for landscape architecture because they've got one of the best landscape architecture programs and probably in the Western United States, actually. Yeah, it's a great it's a great program. It you know, you spend a lot of time talking about placemaking and design of space. And um, that led me into urban planning. And so I came down to Utah, or University of Utah, and got a degree in urban planning and um, in oh, the nice. College, of, College of Architecture. Nice, nice. Sorry, I had to mute Bree's microphone as she was yelling at the dog. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. We actually have a we have a a fan of the show, uh, Peter, who is a landscape architect, Duncan, right? Peter Dunnigan, yeah, he's a landscape architect uh, out of Ireland, but he's done like he did the World War II uh, Memorial Garden in France, uh, hmm. like he like he did the like the multi million dollar. He like, did that one in dollar. Britain like a year ago, year yeah. or two ago. The something that World War II Memorial in France was that enormous was, that he did. That was like a two year project for that him. was amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, the, he did that big one in Britain. Something with a Queen Memorial or something. I don't know. It was pretty amazing, though. Yeah, the guy's unbelievable. I'm always curious how people decide, like, yeah, I want to be a landscape architect. Because that's not like a that's not like being an astronaut. Like, it's not a profession. <laughs> I mean, maybe more so now. But, like, I imagine because I, I grew up around the same time as you, like, HGTV wasn't a thing. <laughs> like, the learning channel, I don't even think existed in the nineties. Like, I don't think there were like home improvement shows other than who was the guy, Bob Vila. Yeah. This I whole think, house. Yeah. That was like the only real home improvement <laughs> show in like the eighties and nineties, but none of this like landscape architecture stuff. So how did you get interested in doing landscape architecture? Uh, that's a good question. I, um, started in architecture at the university of Utah and pretty quickly realized that was not my jam. Um, and had some friends at Utah State who kind of made me aware of the fact there was a landscape architecture program up there. So I went up just to kind of tour and talk to people who educated in landscape architecture. And it really, you know, from really day one, it was like, oh, yeah, this is really thing. These are all things I'm interested in and things I'd like to spend my time doing. Awesome. Um, so you come to Utah to, to the university of Utah for grad school then in Salt Lake, or did you go elsewhere? Yeah. So came to grad school at the university of Utah. Uh, they have a graduate program in urban planning that's within the college of architecture. So I did that, um, several years ago and, uh, practiced, I worked, uh, worked at an architecture firm for a few years after finishing school and uh, in 2010, um, got laid off from from my job. In 2010, that's when things were weird. Like 2008 to 2010, like 
It's eighty percent of architects and. It's funny how that works. Every time there's a planners. dip, we're all out of a job. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of the the. I'd always wanted to start my own practice, so when that happened, um, another friend of mine had also been laid off from another firm. So she and I got together and said, "Well, let's see, let's see what happens if we start our own our own firm." So in, in 2010, started started my own practice. Um, and have, I, I still practice today. Um, I've got a small, small team that works out of our, our working space. Um, but really it was running my own business at home for three years. That was kind of the impetus for the creation of Workhive that I was trying to, you know, run a, run a practice and meet with clients and all of the things that you try to do as a small business and doing that out of your home really gets old pretty quickly. So, um, it, then it was in, in 2012 when a, a few friends of mine, we got together and said, let's, you know, it really started as an idea of just sharing office space. So let's, you know, let's find some space. Let's share that cost. Let's share that, you know, stress of signing a lease, all of those things, um, that, you know, the end of 2012 is when that began and, um, kind of, uh, grew from there. So you started as just like a, a shared workspace then with your friends. I, I was going I was kind of curious, like, did you guys at some point before you started like seek out, cause there were, you know, some other collaborative spaces that existed back then, but they've grown quite a bit, I'd say in the last five to six years, really, uh, at, at least in the state of Utah, they've grown quite a bit. Um, I was just curious, did, did you guys seek any of those out ahead of time or did you just go, okay, let's find a, let's just find a space for, you know, the three or four of us to get together and, you know, peace out together. You know, honestly, none of, there were no collaborative workspaces in, in Salt Lake in 2012. Coworking didn't, uh, didn't exist. Well, I think what we needed was really just workspace. So had those, you know, had those been around, um, I would have just ended up at a desk at a, at a, at a workspace. We, to answer your question, we really didn't, you know, we didn't set out to, to start a co-working space. Co-working didn't, didn't exist in Salt Lake in 2012. So it was really just, we need something. We found more space than we needed. After a couple months, we thought, well, let's see if there are others out there like us who really just need workspace. Don't really want to spend the time or the money setting up their own office, signing a lease, all of those things. Um, and sure enough, there were lots and lots of people out there like us who needed, needed space to work and wanted the flexibility that coworking gives you where you can sign up and it's, you know, it's a month to month agreement. You're not, you're not signing a, a, a three year lease with the landlord. It's really just getting, getting the space you need kind of on demand. And, uh, like I said, we started with a pretty small space and have kind of grown pretty incrementally in, in that decade. So your Salt Lake space, have you been in the same space and you've just taken up more of the building or have you moved around with your Salt Lake space? Uh, you know, we started out um, in the same building. Um, our first space was 300 square feet, so it was a very small space. Um, That's a they, small space to share. <laughs> yeah. So we set up basically that, that initial space was just an open workroom. We had six desks. Uh, we shared, you know, a printer. We had a kind of table in the corner for client meetings. Um, the sort of inflection point, our 
um, the guy in the office next door to us moved out and we started thinking about, well, we've kind of maxed out this space pretty quickly. Um, it was kind of talking the landlord into knocking a wall down to double our space. Um, once that wall came down, you know, the space certainly became more usable. And, um, from there, you know, we really, it was about every, I would say about every eight or 10 months that we would expand into another, another space. So we expanded in that first space for, we were in that one, maybe about a year and a half and then moved in the same building into a larger space. Um, so we moved, I think three times, um, we were in the crane building, uh, if you know, downtown, uh-huh. yep. Salt Lake, uh, Chile Tepin is in that building now on the ground floor, um, which really that building was a great, uh, you know, great spot cause we could grow, um, kind of at our own pace. Uh, it's very affordable that the landlord loved it cause we were really asking him, can we just pay you more money? So every year we'd come to him and say, Hey, if you let us out of this other lease, we would gladly sign a lease for a, a bigger space. Um, we were in the largest space in the building for about three or four years and then found, um, our current space, which was about a block away that, um, was enough space that we kind of had a lot more options and flexibility to, to grow in that space. So how many square feet is your Salt Lake? Um, office now? Uh, our downtown space, we've got about 7,500 square oh. feet. So to go from 300 to 7,500, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, and is this space that you, is this space that you guys are, are leasing in Salt Lake or do you own the building there now? Um, our current space we own. So that was another, um, uh, another motive to, to move out of our old space, going from a space we lease to a space that we own as a business. Um, the space that we're in is split about 50, 50 between, uh, private office spaces and shared spaces. So the shared spaces are, you know, conference rooms, phone rooms, uh, reception area. We have a big, uh, kind of open workroom with, um, about 30 workstations. So it's, um, kind of a mix of, of space. I would say the intent is that someone can walk in and no matter what it is, how they like to work or how how they need to work, whether it's for an hour or a day or a month or a year, we've got options that people can, can choose from. So if somebody wants to just rent the conference room, for example, but that's it, they they really don't need that for anything else, but they're meeting with people downtown. It's a convenient spot they can rent out that conference room by the hour, correct? Exactly. Exactly. So we have a lot of members that have what we call a conference room membership. There's no monthly membership cost. They're only paying by the hour. So if in that month they haven't used any time in the conference room, they're, they're not paying for, for something they're not using. It's just pay by the hour. Um, now if somebody does have, use the conference room, um, is like catering an option I mean, do you provide catering services or could they bring catering services in if they want to? I would assume. Sure. Yeah, we don't we don't provide that, but we have people who bring in food um, from outside all the time. We get a lot of, um, off, you know, called an offsite meeting where we have a, a group of people who are gathering, you know, to kind of have a day of really focused work. Right. We have. 
we have some that gather, you know, they have, they'll have, they'll fly in from all over the country and they're meeting in Salt Lake for a specific reason. And they just need a room to kind of really get focused for the day. Uh, we have a lot that really they're, they're based in, in Salt Lake somewhere and they come in and they just want a day where they're not in the office distracted by all the other right. people and things and disruptions. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been in a environment like that where, you know, like we had, my previous employer, you know, we had a open floor plan for everything. And so when we did strategic stuff, we had to get out of the office so that we could do, you know, cause yeah. when you're at a high level and you're doing strategic meetings, you talk about some really crazy shit that 90% of it doesn't ever come to fruition. But if like a regular level employee heard some of the shit that we had to talk <laughs> about, like real stuff you have to discuss, like they get freaked out and you can't have that. So it's good to go off site for some of that stuff. A lot of times, even, even large companies have that same issue where they need to get away from the site to have more meaningful discussions. So I've, I've seen your different sites and now knowing that you're in the architecture realm, it makes a whole lot more sense to me. Um, <laughs> Cause I was looking at it from, from my architectural standpoint going, Holy crap, these guys did, did an amazing job. And, but, now it all makes sense. Um, with your sugar house location, let's talk about that a little bit. Tell us about the the building itself and then how you got it and how you turned it into your second space. Because that one really intrigues me. I really like that space. Yeah, I, I um, have been trying to find space in sugar house for a long time. I lived in sugar house for about 10 years. And so I know I know it quite well. I have a lot of connections in the community. Um, sugar house is it, no surprise to anyone is growing rapidly. Um, there are a lot of, um, a lot of small businesses. It's a very different vibe from downtown Salt Lake. Um, the availability of space in sugar house is a real challenge. Um, I definitely over the last few years have been looking for, um, a space or a building that we could purchase. Um, so that, uh, looked at a lot of buildings that, um, you know, were good buildings, but really wouldn't work for, um, right. Mm -hmm. how, how our business runs. Um, this particular building that we've just moved into, um, the, uh, history behind it, it's, uh, it was, it started as a, as a house. It's a, it was a private residence. A man by the name of Hiram Jensen built it in 1911, I believe. Um, he was a property developer. So he owned hundreds of acres in sugar house in the early 20th century and really was a home builder. And so he, he took a lot of land and built a lot of the historic homes that uh, still exist in Sugar House. Um, the building itself, um, you know, has been through several, several different uh, life cycles. And um, the family that we purchased it from bought it in the 80s and converted it into office space. So the home itself was added onto and the so the conversion for us really it was it was already set up as office space well, the, that's uh, nice that, that helps yeah I, it helps a lot because we didn't have to do it wasn't really a full renovation it was a light renovation of a historic building we, which was really what we, i was looking for my company we converted a house into a coffee shop a few years ago and that was a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, the chocolate that's exactly what the chocolate is 
That's a house the guy converted into a coffee shop. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, something like that. It's, yeah. It was um, more downtowny, ninth and ninth area, but it was a house, and we turned it in. And there's just so much involved oh, yeah. with bringing it up to code, and especially where this had a kitchen in it. Kitchens are that can be a nightmare. So, so that's nice yeah. if you can find a space that's already at least. Well, and where it's at, it's, it's like hard to believe too, like where that's at, that there was actually someone living there as a residential person because it's like right in the middle. It's on right on 21st South, like right in the middle of a business district. Like the, yeah. I mean, you guys are right next to Old Falafel, right? We are about Do you guys 30, get a sweet discount. From Old Falafel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, we have some interesting photographs of the building, you know, when it was a home and kind of the different, uh, kind of different versions of Sugar House that it's survived through well, and the parking uh, is kind of off the street like in the like on the sides and in the back i would assume because i think that part of sugar house you're not allowed to have your parking lot facing the street right uh that that i don't know um we've we've got some parking at the building and we've also got an agreement with the business next door to use use some of their parking um we have a lot of honestly we have a huge amount of cyclists in our space already that when the weather is good there are lots of bikes there the people who are within a short bike ride of the building so it's i'd say well located um oh for sure it is the house itself um the the previous owners had planted some really large trees kind of right in front of it and so even people who know Sugar House well um, really didn't know that the house was there. You sort of zip right past it on 21st and you don't really, um, you, you, no one really realized it was there. So when those trees came down and we put a sign up, suddenly people were surprised. Like, oh, Where'd this come from? When did I've this driving, get built? <laughs> yeah, I've been driving down this street for years and I've never noticed this this house. So. so- 21st, that is prime real estate. How did you stumble upon it? Did you have a real estate agent looking? Did you just happen to see it or how did you come upon it? Uh, you know, I, I, um, like I said, I've been looking for a long time. And so kind of keeping tabs on listings online of commercial properties was a, we'll say a pastime. <laughs> um, <laughs> when it was listed, if you recall, it was about a year ago in kind of fall of 2021. And the uh-huh. COVID situation was pretty intense. It was sort of touch and go kind of which direction things were going to go in the winter months. And so really, I would say there were I, probably very few people who were looking for commercial real estate to purchase. Uh, even still of- today, there's not as many people looking for commercial real estate to purchase. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and even in talking with previous owners who we purchased the building from, their business had gone through some pretty major shifts over the last couple of years, particularly mm-hmm. during COVID. And so all of their employees were dispersed, working from home. They really yeah. had no plans to return. And so the it was really a perfect storm for us that they had decided, okay, we've had this building for 40 years. I think we're done with it. Um, they, you know, in, in the offer we made to them, we made very clear, you know, we support small businesses. We're a local business. We're going to renovate the building. Um, I think they were happy that, the, you know, the building wasn't going to get torn down. Yeah. Um, you know, with their kind of connection to it over the, over the decades. So were you able to use a lot of it or was it pretty, was it a pretty extensive remodel? As far as the interior yeah. goes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. There, I would say there wasn't a huge amount of intact, you know, what you would 
see kind of in a historic house. Um, there's an old fireplace that we kept. There's interesting ceiling details. So there were certainly architectural details that we, we kept and worked around. Um, we also, you know, in the renovation, we also kind of amped up the kind of details to make it feel more historic, make it feel mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the way that it's always been. Right. Well, I've seen the pictures and uh, I could tell what was original and what wasn't, but it all looks amazing. It all meshes really well. I've yeah. been really impressed with it. I, I really like it. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's great. You should come by for a tour sometime. Yeah, I should. I should come take a look at it. So, so um, how long did the renovation take on that building? Um, it was about six months from from start to finish. We um, we started about the first of May and we're done by um, the end of end of August. I should say done in we'll say air quotes. It's not a hundred percent complete. Uh, we still have a couple things that we're working on, but it's um, usable, occupiable space. So when did you have your grand opening and let people start coming in? Uh, we, we haven't really had a grand opening. Oh. <laughs> we really, we, we opened for business, um, the last week of August, I think it was August 23rd of 20, 2022. So just, um, yeah, so it's just been, just been a couple months, um, a month and a half or so, but, um, we had a, a long waiting list of people who were, who were ready to move in as soon oh, as, good. you know, as soon as the lights were on. That was my uh, next question is, um, if you've had tenants, but it sounds like it. So, so are you, did you stay at the other location or do you have an office in both or did you move to this new location? Um, I'm pretty much in both locations. Um, I'd say, you know, I, I mentioned, I, I still have a landscape architecture practice. My team for the most part is downtown. Uh-huh. So um, I kind of bounce back and forth between, between the two, the two spaces. Um, so now, oh, go ahead. Sorry. We, yeah, we had quite a few, um, you know, people who are already members of our space who are working in our downtown space that when we announced we were opening a sugar house space that they very interested in moving from downtown to our sugar house space, just cause it was closer to where they, where yeah. they lived or easier for them to, to get to. Sugar house is a really nice space. It's very popular. So your Salt Lake building, isn't that the one that used to be the chocolate factory? It is. It is. We're in a building called the McDonald, the JG McDonald building. It was a chocolate factory. Ooh, I think the part of the building we're in was built in 1901 and nice. <laughs> was the chocolate factory up until I think it was the 50s or the early 60s when they moved out of the building. But that building um, was really one of the first conversion kind of old warehouse conversions in downtown Salt Lake where a developer said, I think we can take this old ready building and turn it into something. Um, and sure enough, it, it worked. Uh, we've got our space. There's another office below us. And then above us is all residential spaces. So oh, it's nice. excuse. So I think, I think that's great that they've, they've done a lot more of that in the last few years, instead of just tearing down the old buildings, taking them, making businesses in them, revitalizing them. I'm, I'm impressed that people are doing that. I think that's great. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, when we visit other places, you want to see the character and the history behind it. And so that 
kind of conversion of one thing to another. That's that's how cities work, and it's uh, makes for interesting interesting places for sure. So, how did you guys decide how to break up your buildings and your workspaces? You know, how how did you decide? We want this many conference rooms available. We want this many private offices. We want this big of an open space. Like, how do you how do you come up with those uh, equations? You know, especially as you're going to build like that, build out the new sugar house space. Yeah, I think the in the co working world, co working as an industry is vast. Um, everyone does co working very differently. Um, there are a lot of different approaches to it. Um, there, you know, there's sort of the WeWork types of spaces that are geared around, you know, fortune 500 companies and they have, you know, very specific formula for how they do, how they do the space. Um, most of the co-working spaces, uh, in the world are single location, independent businesses. So every, every independent business has their own clientele and their own niche of how they find that person, how they create a space for, uh, you know, for their customer. Um, I would say our spaces, it's really, you know, sort of trial and error learning as, you know, we've moved several times and kind of fitted out several different spaces. That experience has kind of driven how we, kind of formulate how the space is, is laid out. Just what, what works for us and what works for our, for our members. So currently I, I, when I looked on, on your, on your site, all of your longer term spaces are, are currently leased out, correct? Um, in our downtown space, our private offices are all currently occupied um, with our, you know, one of the intents of opening another space was just having a little bit more breathing room and space to grow. Um, we've currently got space, you know, private office space available in our sugar house. Oh, good. Uh, so I, sugar do, house. I do have a question. Who came up with the phone booth idea? I saw that and I was kind of like, huh? But the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, no, that actually makes sense if you're on a phone call, but you're in like an open space with 10 other people, it would be nice to have a place that you can mm-hmm. go and like kind of be yeah. on your own. So who came up with that idea? Someone that went to a Delta Sky Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say the phone rooms are probably the most popular real estate in the entire, the entire space. Um, you know, the, I, or it was probably one of our older spaces. We had um, one of our tenants found some recording booths. There was some business that was getting rid of them in Provo. And so they were sort of these freestanding pods that they found. And basically they came, came to us and said, Hey, we've, we found these things. We're going to, we're going to buy them if you're okay with us bringing those into the office. And we said, huh. Oh yeah, that, that sounds great. Uh, we brought them in the, you know, the realization that having a separate, you know, a, place someone can go for a phone call that doesn't occupy a, a conference room you know uh-huh. conference room is for meeting with other people phone room is for something different um that was a pretty immediate realization like oh this is really valuable these pods were so small and unventilated and awful <laughs> that when when we moved out of that space we did not bring them with us but that <laughs> definitely influenced what we did in the new space when we moved in even you know the size and the configuration of those phone rooms that we made them large enough that if you're in there for a couple hours it doesn't feel like you're trapped in a in a closet uh, 
But those, again, are super valuable, especially with the way a, a large portion of our space is configured that it's an open, you know, it's an open studio, yeah. open workroom. Yeah. If you're going to be on a Zoom call for, for two hours, it's nice to have some space to get, get comfortable and do what right. you need. Well, and then you're not having a Zoom meeting in front of 15 other people who have nothing to do with your call. Yeah. And that I'd say, you know, not every Zoom call is created equal. Some Zoom meetings, you know, you're really there just to listen. You're not really doing mm-hmm. a lot of uh-huh. the exactly. conversing. So, so we have people that, you know, they'll do a call right at their desk just because they're not right. really doing all of the, the talking. Right. So if somebody wants to utilize the space or rent out an office, how do they go about doing that? Uh, usually the first step is scheduling a tour of our space, whether it's downtown or salt or in sugar house. Um, that's kind of where people get a sense for the different, different types of spaces. Most people, when they walk in the door already know exactly the type of space that they're after. If it's, I need a private office for my team, or I just need a desk once in a while, I need a reserved desk. I need a conference room. All of those options are um, kind of spelled out on our website. Here are the different types of memberships that we have. Um, but the, you know, those those categories are are pretty flexible as well. We've got people who they're in Salt Lake, you know, once a month or twice a year. We've got memberships for those people where they can have that as a as an option without signing up for a recurring, you know, recurring charge that they're not really going to use other than a couple times a year. Nice. So I have some other questions for you in regards to your tenants or your members, as you call them. Um, What, uh, have you had any like super bad, crazy (laughs) tenants slash members? We've been pretty lucky in that department. We've had a few, we'll say eccentrics. But um, I'd say most people are respectful. They understand what a shared space is. They understand, you know, when you're in a space like ours to be, um, I guess, recognize that other people are around and you need to be (laughs) respectful of that. Um, We did have a guy that basically had started living in his office, which was a, you know, a specific <laughs> conversation about, you know, we give you 24 seven access. That doesn't mean that this is your new apartment. Like that is not what this is. <laughs> but uh, Do you have yeah. showers uh, and, uh, and uh, facilities for people? We do, <laughs> we do not. We do not. Um, we have, you know, the kitchen and all of that is meant to, you know, just make it comfortable, comfortable place. We provide coffee and tea and all the things you need to get going in the morning, as well as office supplies and the printer. It's really, it's meant to be, okay, the office is set up and ready to go. You can walk in the door, get signed up, get on the Wi-Fi, and you're, you're on your way. Nice, nice. So does each location have reception services, meaning a receptionist, so that if you do have clients, they're met with a receptionist? Yeah, yeah. We've got an office manager at both locations. So if, if like you say, if someone's coming in or a client is is arriving, that they can make sure that they're welcomed and send them to the right the right room for the meeting. Let um, let the member know that their their client is there. But yeah, the each each location has someone who's there you know, during, during business hours to make sure things run smoothly. That's nice. I've been to, I've had meetings, not my own. I've had meetings with other people 
at some of the shared spaces. There's what's the one kind of in the river bottoms? I can't. Think I, of. I don't know. There's one. And anyway, <laughs> it's one of the taller. I don't know, five or six story buildings. Um, I go in. I find the floor. I walk into the floor. There is a receptions desk, but there's nobody there. And so you find yourself wandering around. Like, where are they meeting at? Like, looking for it. So I, that is key to me, to have somebody there to greet you and guide you in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, it's just part of that, you know, overall experience. You want to make sure that it's, you know, it's clear this is a professional place. People are here getting work done. When you have clients arriving, they're, you know, taking your business seriously. Um, I, you know, all, all small businesses have some common needs, um, one of those, whether you've just started your small business or you've been doing it for years, you want people to take it seriously, that right. this isn't just a one-off experiment. And so really that professional setting that when someone walks in the door, they're not only kind of seeing the space, but they're also taking your business seriously that, okay, we're here to, you know, get, get work done and, um, have a, you know, a professional, uh, experience. Yeah, I think that's very important, and I think that that's great that you guys offer that as just part of the standard service. I think that's great. Yeah. So easiest way to get a hold of you guys then is is your website. Yeah, our website. We've got a form there that you can you can fill out if you've got questions. Um, there's also phone number. We've got social media, obviously. Um, there's a, a button on the website as well that you can click and it has a scheduler that you can find a day and a time that works for you for a tour. Um, there's any number of ways to, to find us, but most of those, like you say, is through the website. Can, can you just walk in or do you need to set an appointment first? Um, yeah, you can, you can walk in. We have people walk in all the time. We certainly prefer a tour scheduled so that we make sure that someone's there to be, be prepared to give you some time on the tour, um, tours, you know, our, our spaces aren't enormous. The, the downtown space, 7,500 square feet, our sugar house space is about 8,500 square feet. So usually a tour takes 10 or 15 minutes, depending on types of questions and how, 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 how chatty you want to be about the building. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty easy. We want to make it comfortable and, um, you know, get to the, get to the productivity as quickly as possible. Awesome. Well, we got one more question for you and then we'll, we'll let you go. Uh, sure. You're a, a Utah native and it sounds like you've, you've planted your seeds here for the rest of your life <laughs> or at least a good chunk of it. What is uh, the most interesting or unique thing that you've discovered about Utah and all your life here? Oh, that's a big, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I would say Salt Lake is more interesting than people give it credit for. I think people outside, you know, I, I, I meet with people who are coming to Salt Lake for the first time almost on a daily basis. Uh, I would say Salt Lake benefits from low expectations. People expect <laughs> Salt Lake true statement. to be not much at all. Um, we have people who are literally coming directly from the airport to our space for a meeting. Um, and they always are really, I would say really pleasantly surprised about what Salt Lake is. Um, a lot of, you know, I'd say in the movies you see Denver and it basically is what Salt Lake actually is. Denver is an hour from the mountains and right. you know, all of the things that it is, but people come here and really, I would say are floored by proximity to, 
to the mountains and so you'd say car. Utah better than your lowest expectations. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the old Indeed. SNL lowered expectations skits. <laughs> yeah, or was that just, Mad TV? I don't know. That might have been Mad TV. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, living, I, I live downtown. I've been downtown for 10 years and it's changed drastically. Oh yeah. Um, I am not someone who wrings my hands about development and towers and construction. I think the more the merrier in, in Salt Lake, uh, the more we can get people out of their cars, the better off, um, sugar house people are just lighting their hair on fire about traffic. And it's like, just get out of your car for 10 minutes. Sugar house is a great place to be a pedestrian, to walk yeah. around, to be on a bike. There are very few places in the state where you can do that. Um, uh, downtown, you know, if they build 30 more towers full of people, I would welcome it. Um, whenever, um, they're Dr. working Re- on it. <laughs> they are, they are working. We've got several several going up all around us. Um, when outdoor retailers would come to downtown Salt Lake, you know, you add 50,000 people to downtown Salt Lake for a week, and it's like, oh, it's a real city. They're like, things are going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, outdoor retailers leaves, and it's sort of back to, oh, it's kind of sleepy times in downtown Salt Lake. But um, anyway, I like... I like Salt Lake and I like living downtown. It's changing for the better every day, I'd say. Oh, awesome. We're going to, Julia, are you going to read a card? Mm-hmm. Pick the card, well, Bree. This, this needs to happen before we get to this spot. <laughs> it says, time to let go, move the fuck on. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you, Chris. That's for me. Let go of things. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a good I mantra. I that card twice. <laughs> <laughs> what? I pulled one earlier. Was like, oh, da da da, and then that's the same one that Brie pulled again. So it's it's uh, it's meant to be meaningful. I was like, I don't know if I want to read that one to someone who's talking about a business. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it was meant for Chris. Well, it's it's the shared spaces are great. I mean, a lot of people there's a struggle, you know, to work from home um, for some people, and I think COVID has kind of shown people who can and can't work from home successfully. Uh, mm-hmm. and if you want to run your own business, you know, getting your own office space is expensive. And so, um, you know, making that step to do like a co-op space makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a big part of why they've grown so much in the last 10 years or so is, um, you know, I think people are recognizing that, you know, having a business and having them come to your house and sit at your kitchen table to have a meeting is nowhere near as professional as, you know, going to a shared space and sitting in a, in a professional conference room. So uh, thanks yeah, for, I think, uh, yeah, I think ahead. you're, 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 you're definitely right on the money there. The, when you think about the residential real estate world, there are places that you can mortgage for 30 years. There are places you can rent for a month. There are places that you can go for a day you know, there's all of these different options when it there's comes some to sweet hotels on state street. You can get for a couple hours, there, the firebird all, hotel. There are all kinds of, uh, all kinds of tendencies for residential spaces. Commercial real estate has just been dragged kicking and screaming into the idea that people don't want to sign a 10 year lease for an office. And sit in a cubicle farm for 20 years. Cubicle farm. (laughs) 10 years, especially today. Like no one's going to sign a 10 year lease. It's so hard to get people to agree to that. Yeah. And I, I, and I think just thinking about commercial space in the same way that, you know, you have a business that, you know, you're trying things out. It may be wildly successful and you grow and you go and find your own floor in some glassy tower and you sign a 10 year lease. That's great. 
But for most people, it's, oh, I'm trying this out. This might be a little terrifying, but if I can right. at least be more professional than working at my kitchen table, that's, um, I mean, that's really the intent is to just make it easier for people to, to try things out. Um, like you say, COVID has taught us a lot about uh, how we work. Mm-hmm. Um, the first couple months after we closed for a couple, we've closed for about two months during COVID. The first couple months after that, people were kind of like, "Well, do you think coworking's going to go away?" And it was like, "Well, I think we've all learned that being trapped at home every day all day." I think day it's going to be bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anything, I, I see a big growth in the concept. And that's exactly what's happening is that people are realizing, "Hey, it's great to work from home." two days a week, but I don't want to be trapped there. I don't necessarily feel as productive if I'm trapped at home every single day. So it's really having that choice of where we work and where we feel most productive is the, is the, I'd say underlying mission there. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, Um, of course. If uh, folks like what they heard or don't, I don't actually care if you like it or not, just share it for us. That's what helps us more than anything. You can find us out on social media at TNU Podcast uh, in all the various platforms. Uh, and go to our website, thenewutah.com. Bree's been uh, busily putting up blogs, busy the last building one was a little blogs. Slower than I meant it to be. I don't know. She's been putting blogs up because no one else wants to do it, and she thought it was a good idea to do some again. So uh, they look great. And yes, they do. Uh, and I'm glad we're adding this content again. Or you could go to hotdog-water.com. Yep, also. I'll take it to the same place. It'll get you to us as well. I love that that domain. And uh, hopefully you guys voted. And, um, you know, I'm sure the world's not going to catch on fire regardless of who wins what seat and what state. So things will still happen. 